from now on. You just never know. You just go along figuring some things don't change ever, like, like being able to drive on a public highway without somebody trying to murder you. And then one stupid thing happens. 20, 25 minutes out of your whole life. And all the ropes that kept you hanging in there get cut loose. And it's like there you are, right back in the jungle again. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Steven Spielberg's Duel. The highway is all yours, Jack. I'm not budging for at least an hour. Hosted by Stuart. Beat me on the grade. You can't beat me on the grade. Arnie. How can he go so fast? And Jacob. He has to be crazy. Okay, so he's crazy. What can I do about it? This podcast will contain detailed movie spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. I'm in no mood to play games. Let's go. Today we're discussing Duel, starring Dennis Weaver, and that's it, just Dennis Weaver. <laughs> a couple stunt guys, some extras. Directed by Steven Spielberg. There you go, that's the name you want to hear. This is the now playing co-host who's the boss of this house, Arnie. This is Stuart in LA. This is Jacob, and I play Meat. <laughs> no, no, you play with Meat, there's a difference. <laughs> Sick, man. There is? I, I just figured it's all the same. <laughs> So here we are discussing Duel, and I'm ready to put the pedal to the metal because I don't think this is going to be a very long podcast about a TV movie, but this is a total reversal. Usually when we are reviewing TV movies, Stuart is like shooting me the evil eye and going, what the fuck did you do to me? Why are we watching this? This one was Stuart's idea. Kind of, yeah. I'll take credit for it. To be fair, Duel did get a theatrical release because it was too good for TV. Well, so did The Incredible Hulk Returns. Uh, not because it was too good for TV, but uh, anyway, yes, we had a spare week. Some of you may know I do the programming here at Now Playing, which means I don't get to pick the movies. I simply get to arrange them. And we had a gap. We were done with Fast and the Furious. We needed to get to Mad Max, but needed another movie in between. And since we're starting our donation drive this week with Steven Spielberg movies, both Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park, Poltergeist are all going to be part of our spring 2015 donation. I figured, hey, what better one-off for a car marathon than his first feature, Duel. And I am kind of excited to see this. I saw this years ago when it was playing on television. I didn't go to the theaters, but I remember his playing, flipping through channels. My dad's like, oh, stop, stop. That's Steven Spielberg. This is like his first movie that got him noticed. So I've seen this film, but I was very young when I saw it. I could tell you, well, it's about a, a truck and a car chasing each other. That's about it. And I've seen all the good parts of this movie because I reviewed it when I was doing a review a day of the Incredible Hulk TV series for the Venganza Media Gazette. <laughs> the Hulks of this? <laughs> yes. Stock footage. This movie was chopped up because this was made by <laughs> Universal, used for stock footage. They took this entire plot. Now imagine this exact movie, only the car's being driven by David Banner, and when he gets run off the road, he then turns into the Hulk. That is the entire <laughs> synopsis of the episode, Never Give a Trucker an Even Break. 
where it is Duel with the Hulk using the footage Spielberg shot. That does sound pretty amazing. And Spielberg saw it. He was a Hulk fan. He was home watching TV and he was like, I recognize that shot. And that shot. Wait a minute. Yeah. That's how he found out that they did this to him. He was pissed. And it is standard contract back then that any movie you shot, you agreed the studio could use it as stock footage. And Spielberg became one of the first directors to be powerful enough to go, uh -uh, never, ever again. Just think, if he hadn't been that powerful... We might see stock footage of E.T. during ALF episodes. Yeah, but we did have all that Bad Boys 2 stuff in Children of the Corn 9. It still happens. <laughs> well, obviously, Michael Bay is no Steven Spielberg, despite how much they hang out. <laughs> or maybe he just never bothered to know what Children of the Corn is. But yeah, that is my experience with Duel. And honestly, I thought I'd seen this movie before. But when I watched it for this review, it occurred to me... I have never seen this movie before. Oh, wow. So I have only seen that Incredible Hulk episode so many times that I thought I had. Well, I definitely think you're going to see the influence here, even on later Spielberg movies. But there were a lot of movies about being on the road, trucking, convoys, the car. Satan drove around in a car. I don't know (laughs) when I saw it as a child, but I did watch the movie in total just last year. So it was fresh in my mind. And probably why I thought to do it when we had this gap come up. I do remember like going on road trips as a kid in the 80s and my dad, I don't know how true these stories were, if he's just trying to have a good scare and mess with us as we're driving to from state to state on these summer vacation trips. But yeah, he would tell us stories about Hell's Angels running cars off the road and rogue truckers like this like from the 70s. It was at least lore in our household, these kind of myths. It's a true story, if you ask the author of the short story, Richard Matheson, who you probably do know, Arnie. He wrote for Star Trek. He wrote for Twilight Zone. He wrote for all sorts of anthology series in the 60s. He was a very famous science fiction writer. And he tells the story of the day that JFK was shot. He was inspired to write Duel because he was grief-stricken, got in his car with his friend, gave up on his golf game, was driving home, And a trucker ran him off the road. And he was so alarmed by that feeling, that feeling of powerlessness and national tragedy mixed with having a near-death experience with this vehicle that he wrote Duel, although it took several years. He actually pitched it as a Twilight Zone episode or an Outer Limits. He kept for years trying to say, hey, this would make a great hour-long episode. He was right. Yeah, I think we're (laughs) going to talk about that tonight about how short is too short to make a feature out of. But he ended up publishing this in Playboy in 1971 in their April issue. And by November, it was Steven Spielberg's first movie. Steven Spielberg is a 24-year-old TV director who worked on some of those anthology movies, wound up with a project, and tried to show that it could be his vehicle to demonstrate that he had a visual gift that you don't normally see in TV movies. And I will say this up the top. No matter what you think of this movie, whether it's dated or not, if you compared it with other films of the time, I mean, this lost the Emmy for Movie of the Week to The Snow Goose. I do think, Arnie, (laughs) you would much rather watch Duel than The Snow Goose. I have no idea what The Snow Goose is, but I did watch this on the DVD that came out that had a bunch of features of Spielberg's work, and it had, like, footage of his shots from Marcus Welby, MD, and Columbo. This is the type of stuff he was doing when he got this job. Yeah, there was nothing special about his career at all. The only thing special about it was he had self-produced a short called Amblin, might have heard of that word, 
it's his production company now, and he got in the door with TV by showing that short. Everyone was impressed with this college dropout who made this cute little short. And yeah, but he was working on unspectacular TV episodes. Only one producer had his back and saying this guy was a genius. Everyone else was, who's this kid? But Duel will change that. Duel will change his career very definitively. Because it starts as a TV movie, but it became so popular, it was made into an international film. I gotta ask, did anybody get a hold of the original cut of the movie? I have not been able to find it. No, I only got the DVD, which is the theatrical cut. Yeah, I wasn't sure which one I was watching until I heard four-letter expletives. And yes, I saw the theatrical edition. Yeah, the theatrical is a little bit longer, if you can believe it or not. A couple more scenes... We'll talk about it as we go through the movie, what got added. He went back and reshot things the following year for three days. He inserted new material to give it a fuller run for Europe. And that's basically the only difference is three key scenes, but pretty pivotal scenes. Uh, We'll point them out as we go through the movie. Arnie, you want to come up with a plot? I'll time you. Dennis Weaver stars in Duel as David Mann, a salesman driving in Southern California to meet an important client. On the road, he comes up upon a beat-up tanker truck going too slow. David passes the truck, only to be immediately passed again and cut off by the trucker. This continues for a while. David pulls off the road and calls his wife, just to find the unseen trucker going slow, seemingly waiting for him, and even waving for David to pass, almost causing the salesman to have a head-on collision. David tries to speed past the truck, but it stays on his tail, eventually bumping David's Plymouth, causing it to lose control and skid off the road. David goes into a diner to compose himself and have lunch, but sees the truck outside, creating even more paranoia. Finally, the truck leaves and David gets back on the road, only to have more high-speed hijinks. At one point, the truck comes in behind him at train tracks and tries to push David's vehicle in front of an oncoming locomotive. David finally turns his car around and puts his briefcase on the accelerator to race at the truck. The semi hits the car head-on, but through the smoke and the fire, the trucker doesn't see he's racing off the side of a cliff. The truck topples over, letting out a mechanical roar as David sits atop victorious as credits roll. Yeah, that's a lean plot summary. You've skipped over a few things, but not much. I mean, it should be said right off the bat, the movie pretty much follows every word of those 10 pages in Playboy. I mean, really, it's a lean story. It's minimalist. If only it had the pictorial in between. (laughs) A centerfold. (laughs) You might have enjoyed it more. Is that what you're saying? If they took a little detour in the middle? (laughs) Yeah, no titty shots in this for ABC television. That's for sure. And language, they're going to have to adjust that as well. Those are things that you can definitely see reflected in the newer cut. Fat head, what have you. They put a few more swears, I think, in the project. Yeah, there were some cursing to make it feel more theatrical, they said. And yeah, that's one thing. This is a very simple concept done as a TV movie of the week on a low budget and intended to be shot in 10 days. I mean, there were... No thoughts ever that this would be viewed maybe once in reruns, I think. This was early 70s. Syndication wasn't even a thing. There were like three TV stations plus PBS. The fact that we are still talking about this movie 40-some years later is defying anybody's expectation when making this. Again, I repeat, what did you think of the snow goose? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Even worse, Spielberg had no clout at the time and had been given some pretty horrible mandates, one of which was 
There's no money for location shooting, so you gotta do it all on the soundstage. Ooh. This movie would be unwatchable. This movie would be as bad as any critic that doesn't like it would say it is if it didn't have the cinematic quality of being on that road and having rigs that go in between the two vehicles. I mean, you need that. If you don't have that feeling, what is there? Yeah, it should be said. This is all like real locations. I used to have family that lived. This is all north of Los Angeles, out past Palmdale, the Aqua Dulce area. Very rural still. It's not a very built up part of Southern California. But yeah, that this is all areas you could go drive around. It probably looks pretty much the same as it does in this film. Oh, really? Still a two lane black? I was like, can there be any roads that are still two lane? That was there's a lot that I reflected on. I mean, the speed limit being 55. There was just so much about this that felt like time capsule. Yeah, when he's trying to push 70 miles an hour and can't quite do it. I'm like, I'm doing that on city streets. We just finished watching the Fast and the Furious. 70 is slow. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely not going to beat Vin Diesel. At that speed, Dennis Weaver. So, yes, he had to fight to get at real locations. He had to fight to make sure nobody was going to get in the car. They were talking about, well, it'll be boring and we won't know what's going on if it's just one guy. I mean, can it really be a duel if it's a guy and his mom against an unseen trucker? It's got to be one-on-one. I mean, that just wouldn't make any sense. It's got to be about one guy in isolation pushed to the limit. And I think that isolation is an important element in this is that, yeah, it's just David Mann in that car. And I think Spielberg, the way he shoots us, he's going to, even though we're on the open road, he is going to give you a claustrophobic, isolated feel for this character. Well, I had trouble with my plot summary not getting into what this movie is really about. I mean, you mentioned the character's name, David Mann. And all this is, to me, is a reflection on the emasculation of the 70s male going from the John Wayne type to the Alan Alda type. I mean, this whole thing starts, there's this five-minute-plus opening credits. From the car's point of view... (laughs) <laughs> yes, I actually rewatched this movie on the second time on the treadmill. I'm walking on a treadmill watching the mo- road move in front of me for five minutes. It was very surreal. I could have just walked outdoors. But this whole time, there's this radio talk show where a guy is calling in because he has questions about filling out the Census Bureau because he's the man, but his wife is the head of the household and he doesn't know how to feel about that. And this whole movie is going to be about a man trying to finally take a stand. And I got to ask about that guy on the radio. I don't know if it's anywhere in the extras. Was that Art Bell? It sounded a lot like Art Bell doing a comedy routine. I don't know him to do comedy routines. I know him to talk about aliens abducting people. I didn't catch the name, but Spielberg says it was a real guy. He was a radio personality and that was a real call-in prank that he did that they just used. Wasn't scripted. And that's what I wonder is, I think this theme comes through, especially in the theatrical cut, but... How much of this is accidental and how much of this is just it was taking place in the 70s? Because early on in the film, the guy stops to call his wife. When he stops, the gas station attendant says, you're the boss. He's like, not in my house, I'm not. It was confusing. If there were car phones in 1971, I think he was the radio call-in guest. And then he goes in to apologize to his wife for not doing anything when a house guest, in her words, quote, practically raped her in front of the whole party. Yeah, this guy's a dweeb. That's what I take it as, is he's in a shirt and tie. He's a businessman. He's a white-collar guy that's journeying out away from the city 
and into a backward land that he doesn't belong. It's a classic story. Westerns do it all the time. It was a popular theme of the era. Straw Dogs, a Dustin Hoffman movie that just had come out the same year, was about a nerd architect living in London who ends up having to take a violent stand against home invaders and deliverance. I think that might actually have been what got Matheson to actually pin that short story. It was a popular novel the year before Duel was written. It became a popular movie the year after Duel was released. It was about guys that are out on macho hunting trip and then end up have to do some really grisly stuff to survive when they run in with some backwards hillbillies. That's kind of how this feels to me. Yes, if Duel is about anything, and I'm not sure that it is, but thematically, you know, it's so sparse. There's so few details. When we piece together these little moments on the phone and what have you, that he's wearing a tie, that he's driving this red car that was from the year that this movie came out. So he had a brand new hot rod sports car. Yeah, it looks like a nerd in midlife crisis who has gotten in trouble with everyone for not standing up for himself. And so, yes. He is going to be pushed to an extreme by, well, we can discuss who's in the truck. And I got to say about this David Mann character, there's not a lot about him. At one point when this truck starts chasing him, he's like, we're back in the jungle again. I'm like, is that just a metaphor or is he talking about Vietnam? Is this someone that's <laughs> a soldier return and he's trying to go do domestic life and it's made him a wussy? Because, yeah, we do get that scene where he calls his wife. I, I think that's a pivotal scene for this film. That's, yeah, if there's any theme here, you get it from there. I also think maybe it's because this is Spielberg, but I see that, oh, here's the domestic scene. We see the kid and the parents fighting. It just seemed like it's easy to read it into Spielberg now knowing his body of work and that was a staple of his in the 70s and 80s just always portraying that domestic life oddly enough that was the scene he did not want to film they filmed it in that huh. second reshoot the year later and he his words this is on the nose I feel like I'm telegraphing too much by showing this scene I like the seeing the overweight woman in the laundromat while he's on the phone, but I don't like cutting to seeing the wife and the kids. I didn't like seeing the wife and kids either because that kind of wrecked the point of view. This whole movie is told from man's point of view. It never cuts away. You never see anyone else but him. So when you cut to the wife, that was very jarring on my second watching. But even more than that, yeah, what's up with that woman's arm? Was that some artsy <laughs> shot The through the dryer window shot? What was the hell was that? I'd like to think Spielberg had this grand vision for the meaning behind shooting under a woman's fat arm and through the dryer door. You know what I think this is, is it's this film. There's not a lot to it. I think he's going to do a lot of interesting shots. Because the plot here is two cars chase each other. And so, yeah, he gets creative. I like seeing this as if this is a struggling artist, here's his chance to make his mark, maybe lead to bigger things. Go for it. I love how he shoots through that circular window of the washer. Yeah, with the lady's arm hanging, that, that fat hanging from her arm. I don't know. I appreciate these shots. Most of the extras, I think much like Deliverance, what they're supposed to be telling us here is that this guy is really out there. He's out there in a place that few city dwellers would ever want to be caught and that it's dangerous for people like that to go. It's a bit of an overstatement. Certainly a guy on a drive to, I don't know, he's leaving Los Angeles at the beginning of the movie. I'm not exactly sure where he's headed. He's headed to a business meeting somewhere in the novel or rather in the short story. 
it was San Francisco, which is not a day trip, particularly at the speed he's driving. It would take him eight hours to get there at that pace, but he's definitely not going to make it back for dinner. But my sense is that, yeah, he's going to be at a business meeting in a couple of hours and then return to his safe home. And by having to confront this truck, by having to get stranded out with these weirdos, he really, his life is in danger. We're supposed to feel those omens right here in the get-go, in the beginning. I thought he was heading to San Diego, which is not a bad drive, especially on the interstate. But yeah, he's taking these two-lane highways. Was he headed north? I thought he was headed south. No, he was headed north. He starts in L.A. Yes, but not headed to San Diego, in the other direction. Yeah, Palmdale, that's all north, and where they shot this was out in the Palmdale area, even further past that, which is all north of L.A. Yeah, it's difficult to know where the business could be. I'm not even sure. It doesn't matter. I mean, I think the character is intentionally vague. The name itself sounds like metaphor. Man, he is just today's common man, having a midlife crisis in his hot rod car, trying to live his workaday cubicle I don't think he's a Vietnam vet because he's conservative, right? He's a button-down office guy. He's not young enough to have just come back from a tour of duty. I just, I don't think when he's talking about the jungle, that's what he's talking about. I think he just thinks that anyone that doesn't live in a major metropolitan city is a savage. And maybe that arrogance is partly what gets him in trouble with what we only know about the trucker is that, well, he's from a different era. I mean, it's a rusty truck from the 50s cowboy boots. Read between the lines because they're not going to show you a face. They're not going to give you any other details. But my take on this is, is that, yeah, this is just some other kind of lifestyle that is an affront to man. What's funny to me is that I'm looking at movies made 30 years later that took from Duel that I'm reminded of. And two of them both were happened to be covering in our underrated movies book, Joyride and Jeepers Creepers. Yep, the best part of Jeepers Creepers is that beginning. And yes, you're right. The honking of the truck and all of that. And the rusted, beat up old truck look and not seeing the driver. I mean, it is all dual. And so now I'm thinking the driver in dual is the creeper. (laughs) Well, I do love the look of this truck. This is the villain, I guess you could say. This is the jaws of this film. We'll talk about the similarities between those two films, but I think this truck looks great. Yeah, it looks like it's covered in tar and grime and dirt. I guess it's hauling something flammable. I just assumed it was a gas tanker, but who knows if anything's even in there. We know so little about this truck and its driver. At times, the windows even look blacked out. It's just this ominous figure. I mean, this is the other character. There's David Mann, and the only other character really in this film is the truck. Does it bother you that we never find out who it is, that they choose not to develop this one iota, aside from a shot from the boots when they both pull into a gas station and a hand, We really never get any kind of physical information about this driver. I mean, if they had removed those, hell, it could not even been human. The truck could be alive, maximum overdrive style. Just need a green goblin on the front. I actually (laughs) wish they hadn't shown us the arm because from the arm and the cowboy boots, I know who this is. I get a complete story about this guy from the boots he's wearing and the arm. Now, admittedly, it's just a stunt driver's arm. But that's what I get is he's a beefy guy. It's a big arm, wears cowboy boots. He's a good old boy. I'd prefer not knowing his race, not knowing his nationality, not knowing anything about him. I don't know if the cowboy boot scene is part of what was added because that's all during the same gas station scene where he 
makes the phone call. It was always in there. Okay. Yeah, that's going to become important later on when he goes to a bar. True. So all they added in was him asking for change and then making the call. I think the call was even there. It just, they didn't show the wife. Oh, well, Jesus. <laughs> that's not much at all. I don't know why Spielberg's bitching. But... <laughs> I wish we saw even less because I think it would add to the horror of this. I'm going to claim this is a horror movie. I mean, it's just as much as Joyride and Jeepers Creepers are, and I'd like the mystery. I'm glad we didn't find out who he is or why he does this. There was one detail that I wondered that I did get out of Spielberg's interview on this disc, and Spielberg loves this movie. I mean, he knows it started his career. A lot of directors, they don't want to talk about their early stuff. I mean, Spielberg was more than happy to chat up about this for like an hour of bonus features. I wondered why the truck had multiple license plates. Is that a trucker thing? Isn't that just a law back then if you're crossing like state lines, hauling stuff across state lines? That's what I assumed. I wondered that. Those are like notches in the trucker's belt. Every state where he's killed a motorist, he took their license plate and put it on the front. Ah, that seems like a easy way to get caught. <laughs> well, you know, back then crime wasn't uh, so easy to catch. We didn't have the CSI teams. Hell, chips aren't even out on these roads. There are no <laughs> cops on these roads. There is nothing on those roads. That's the point of this, is that it is going to be about a man and everything he understands about civilization is going to fall away and he is going to have to fend himself against a, a bigger, scarier foe. Is it a horror movie? It's not supernatural, but yes, it's close enough for me to categorize it in that way. It's as much a horror movie as Jaws is a horror movie. Or Psycho, I mean, really. Well, we'll be talking a lot about Psycho. I do think that's maybe the primary influence, the thing that's in the back of his mind, particularly in the fact of the voiceover. Because the other thing being crammed down Spielberg's throat that he didn't want to do that was all over in Richard Matheson's script, was having this guy talking the whole way in his head about, well, what do I do? And this, I mean, the studio heads really felt like it was important to understand what man was thinking at any given moment. And there is still voiceover. I would argue too much voiceover in this movie. But Spielberg said, I want to make a silent movie. I want all of these things to come through purely in my composition and visuals. You will understand it by the way I photograph it, not by any thought passing in his head. But Psycho, certainly when I think about Vivian Lee traveling to the Bates Motel and all of that voiceover, I definitely thought about Psycho. I didn't mind the fact that we saw some of the trucker, but we don't get a full story. But yeah, the voiceover here, I agree with Spielberg. I was watching this. I'm like, I would love this to be a lot more artsier and just have it be about facial expressions and every once in a while muttering something out and really trying to figure out what's going on in man's head. But yeah, the, the voiceover here, they need to cut a lot of that out. I agree, especially at the diner. That was the place yes. that really just became confusing to me. There's a little bit of him talking to himself. I can't really tell if it's voiceover or if he's just verbalizing. I mean, a lot of the time he is just talking to the truck, knowing he can't hear them. I do the same thing. If you have driven in front of me or behind me or ever <laughs> cut me off, I've said some things to you that involve four-letter words and your mother. So when he walks into the diner at a point, because the truck runs him off the road, it's the first time the truck goes from just shitty driver to outright dangerous. And he goes into this diner and all of a sudden everything's echoey and voiceover. He's looking into the mirror. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, perhaps there is too much of that wide angle close up kind of stuff, but Let's just go through the progression of the duel. There's not much to this story, so we can be very brief here. But 
I just have to ask at the top here, did he do anything wrong? Typically in these kinds of setups, someone makes a mistake and it becomes a much bigger deal. Case in point, Joyride. They made a prank over a CB and it turned into an humiliation for this trucker. And that was the motivation for a trucker to pursue people cross country to kill them for the rest of the movie. Is there anything that we can see about the way that he passes the truck? He breaks the law. It's a a solid yellow line, and he goes across it to pass the truck because it's billowing pollution, and he's coughing. And that's the only thing that I can think of that he did wrong. I don't think this is about learning a lesson from a sin. I think this is really about dealing with a bully. This is about a character who needs to learn to stand up for himself. His wife was sexually assaulted. We don't know what that story is, but I'm assuming he didn't, like, taunt the guy into sexually assaulting his wife. This is just someone that's a pushover. So I feel like he doesn't need to do anything wrong to get this trucker's anger. This trucker, this it's the villain. It's the bully, and it's going to go after him because, well, he happened to pass him, and that was the victim for the day. I agree completely, Jacob. My take on this is that He is an everyman. He's not a man's man. He's not an action hero. He's a 70s guy, a businessman who just gets targeted. And this whole movie is about not him atoning for a mistake. Keep in mind the movies you're talking about. I mean, I think of like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all those papers I wrote in college about how (laughs) those who died deserve death for having sex and doing drugs. But it was the good girl virgin who lived. He lives. He's not going to die for this sin. He doesn't commit a sin. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. This trucker was out looking for someone to piss off. He just looks like a guy you'd fuck with, I guess. He's got a nice car for the time. Admittedly, I'm laughing at this car. I think my parents (laughs) had something very similar when I was born. And the speedometer is very dated. There's that. And he passes the truck. I think the question is, if you pass the truck, you're baiting him. And then Ah. if the truck passes you, I think there's a ritual and it's kind of like saying Candyman five times into the mirror or something. You pass the truck, then the truck passes you. If you engage, you are now on his hit list. Right. The truth be known, he could have been reaching a destination much sooner. Like he could have just been going up the road, pulled off, and that would have been the it. Would the truck have waited for him to to finish up at wherever he was going and, and pursued him days later? I mean, it's, I guess, a game. He probably does this with lots of cars, but the fact that the guy, he passes him up, then the truck passes him up, and he passes him up again. It's because he engages again, I think. It's because he's willing to play here at the start, that he's willing to go for it. Well, keep in mind, I view this as almost a dick measuring contest. You think your car's faster than mine? My truck's faster than your car. Oh, your car's faster than mine? I'm going to kick your ass. It could be about class. It could be about, oh, here's the rich guy in the car and he thinks he's so fast. He thinks his life is so important to get where he's going. I'm going to drive in front of him and slow down. It could be the mentality. Well, no, I I do that too sometimes, (laughs) just to be a dick. (laughs) When someone cuts me off and I speed up around him and then I hit my brakes. Well, yes. But at no point do you try to kill them. And early on into this, the trucker waves this guy to pass him on into an oncoming car. I mean, it's very clear that he's willing to kill this rich guy and an innocent person going in the opposite direction just because of that. I do like that scene. Like that, you're like, oh, okay, he's easy enough or whatever. And then all of a sudden this car is coming down the other side of the road. 
it was a nice, again, a change of pace here because we've, yeah, we've had this switching who's ahead and now here's another danger coming. And I didn't on first viewing take that as a homicide attempt. I took that as a really nasty joke. Oh, you want to pass me? Pass me now, motherfucker. And then you're going to have to veer back. I don't think the waving was close enough to be like, oh, they're going to have a head on collision and I'm going to watch. I wasn't sure. Again, having seen the Hulk episode, I kind of knew where things would go. But I wasn't sure how it would escalate or if man would do something to force the escalation and earn the trucker's ire. So it's not until a little bit later after that when the truck starts racing behind him and actually hitting him from behind, bumping his bumper a little bit, that I realized, no, this trucker is willing to kill man. That's exactly right. After the gas station, he's gone on his way. He's kind of forgotten about it. We've kind of forgotten about it. And it's a chase. And this is the part that came from real life. This is what Richard Matheson said happened to him on the day that JFK died, that he all of a sudden had this truck barreling down on him, and he literally had to spin out and hit a fence in order to survive. For seven miles, they chased him to the truck stop. And I love how Spielberg shoots this chase, because before these cars had kind of been playing with each other, but this is a full-on chase. Man is trying to push his car up to, like, it's struggling to get above 90 miles an hour, which I do on accident when I'm driving to work these days. What is with the handling of this car? When it's 90, it's like he's running off the road. He can't control it. I'm like, could cars just not handle that speed? Yes. They were pure steel back then. I mean, that thing was heavy. and That's exactly what we're taking for granted is that cars, you know, we've taken the automobile industry to task for certain things, but cars are better made now than they were back then. Even the hot rods could not handle it. I mean, Vin Diesel could have pimped this thing out to do what he needed to, (laughs) but Dennis Weaver... He could have had this thing back on two wheels. Yeah, Dennis Weaver's (laughs) got no Nas. So Dennis Weaver... He really, and he needs some Nas. I got to say, this guy is grumpy. He's, you don't really like this guy. You feel sorry for him once he's targeted. But I can honestly say there's nothing about him that reaches for our compassion, which is strange for a Spielberg character. Normally, I think that he makes a move early on in a movie to make someone endearing if we're to follow them. Roy Scheider was an endearing father figure. This guy, not so much. I might not 100% care for this David Mann as a character, but I am invested in this chase. The way Spielberg shoots it with that truck taking up the whole screen. You have this little tiny red car and that truck is so overbearing compared to that car. It's scary to me. This is the great white shark chasing this thing. This is when it becomes a horror movie to me, really, before it's about Yeah, kind of got this deliverance feel with this trucker taunting this guy. But now this tanker truck has become a monster. Yeah, I want to salute the camera work in this. I mean, this is why this movie is not boring to me. You could make the case nothing is really happening and that they could chop up 30 minutes out of this movie and it wouldn't make a difference. That's probably true. But there's not a frame that I don't appreciate watching because of the way that the shots are composed. The camera rig, they got the car that they actually used to shoot a pretty groundbreaking car chase movie called Bullet. It was a new movie, had only been out a couple years. They got that rig, that's how they're able to do those incredible shots of where Dennis Weaver is behind the truck, and we, in one take, see that camera on his face, speeding past, see the whole body of the truck, and then wind up just staring into the grill of the truck in front of him. I mean, there are just some incredible, I mean, good for films of the time, much less TV movies, 
of the time. This is some really quality, a spectacular French Connection car chase stuff. I'll agree with the camera work. I won't agree with the stunt work. I've seen Bullet, and this is, sir, is no Bullet. But I think that this shows Spielberg has a great visual style. I do really get impressed with the scenes, having watched a lot of 70s car chase television. And that's what this is. This is an earlier Dukes of Hazard, an earlier, you know, it's competing around the time of what wasn't Smokey and the Bandit and some of those movies big at the time. Yeah, yeah, that was part of the culture. I do feel like there's a difference of tone there. But yes, the American Highway was romanticized very much with hitchhiking and all of that. It was a frontier, if you were, and America was excited to be on the road. Yeah, and trucker movies, that whole thing, Convoy, remember that one? Yeah, sure. So I think this has a better camera style if it doesn't live up to the stunts. There's so many times when that camera's right close to the road, and we're watching the truck drive, and we're driving with it, and the same with the car and the camera going from one car to the truck. I agree with you. I will dispute that there's not a single frame that I don't enjoy. Let's go back to that conversation about the shot through the dryer door. But other than that, when we're talking about the car chases, yes, very well filmed by and large. It's amazing, doubly so when you think about the time crunch and the financial crunch he was under, that he demanded. I mean, he, being a nobody in Hollywood, wouldn't do this unless he was able to do it outside and get the shots he wanted and make it visually interesting. If this movie has a redeeming quality, it's the look. Yeah, and it does. I just want to put it out there. I show my hand early. You need to see this movie for the way it's shot. And it's the camera work, not the character, that's compelling me as he's barreling down here. But it becomes a character moment. You mention all those close-up shots. When he gets to that cafe... Now we're asked to connect with his paranoia. And one of the interesting things about the short story is that the truck kind of just destroys itself at the end of that short story. So it almost makes it feel like this could have just been a crazy paranoid behind the wheel that imagined being terrorized by a trucker. That there really wasn't a truck trying to kill him. He was just nutso here. I think that that might be what they're playing with with these camera choices and showing Dennis Weaver's man really try to figure out what he's going to do next. He didn't pay any attention to the diners of this establishment until he noticed after coming out of the bathroom that the truck had parked outside. And so now he's trying to figure out from almost nothing, a hand in a boot, who of these diners is the man that's tormenting him. And he picks the wrong guy. And I like this moment because it does play into the possibility that is he imagining this? That all of a sudden this truck's out there. All of a sudden, we didn't see all these truckers in there before. He walks in, someone kind of makes a joke, and he goes to the bathroom and comes out. And all of a sudden, it feels like this place is populated. It, we're getting it from what he's noticing all of a sudden. And I, again, I think this is the voiceover work. You cut a lot of that out, and it would play the paranoia even better. But I like the stuff that isn't voiceover. What speaks most to me, when he orders this sandwich, it's like wrong. He can't even ask for ketchup. And he's got to get the gusto to confront some of these truckers. Like, that's what speaks to me is as he's trying to go through this journey to be a man and stand up for himself. It's not the voiceover, but it's those little details that he can't even ask this waitress for ketchup. Yeah, that's right. He wouldn't need to have any of this voiceover because we know everything he's thinking when he walks up to that guy and he's just like, you need to stop. I mean, he should know instantly by the guy's reaction that the guy isn't who he thinks he is. 
but he's gone too far at that point. So he's like going to like slap his sandwich out of his hand and, you know, kiss the floor basically because the guy's going to beat the shit out of him. Why would you pick a fight with a trucker? You know you can't win that one. He might win the fight with the waitress. Maybe if he beat on her. This scene actually pissed me off because you start this confrontation by saying, hey, that your truck out there? That is the first line of any confrontation like this. And the fact that he slaps the sandwich out, I found this character sympathetic for being a wrong guy in the wrong time. But here, this scene, I just don't like this diner scene at all. It breaks the action. It's trying to introduce suspense that doesn't exist. And yeah, we know he's going to pick the wrong guy. Half the people in there are wearing cowboy boots. And that's all he has is the guys wearing cowboy boots. He walks up to the wrong guy first, then goes up to another guy, gets his ass handed to him. And it's making me feel distant from the character. When he's behind the wheel, I am sympathetic for this man. When he's in this diner, wow, this movie is really trying my patience. It's a long scene. It's too long a scene for all that it's got to show. Of course, the punchline is the trucker was never inside. It's none of the above is the correct answer. And he's in the truck pulling away. And Dennis Weaver actually chases after him and on foot <laughs> yeah if i wasn't thinking about psycho before with the voiceover and marion crane and all her guilt and all of that the music the music cues from yes. this point on mm -hmm. are really that shower scene sting is throughout this movie i think they use different instruments i think it's wind chimes and i don't know maybe car parts yeah a lot of percussive instruments being used in the soundtrack yeah but it's the same effect it's that shrieking violin sound of psycho done in car style for Duel. Fortunately, he does get back on the road. The shocking thing for me is we're now halfway through the film, and I just don't see how there can be another half of this film. And while I didn't enjoy the diner scene, I did enjoy the car chase stuff, but now the movie starts to get a little bit weird. And I know some of this is extended scenes, and some of this is just elongating a short story for a TV runtime. But he runs across a school bus. I do not understand this school bus scene because there are truckers drinking beer, having lunch. Now, maybe truckers do that at eight in the morning, but I'm assuming it's lunchtime. There is a school bus with a bus driver and school children. There's no teachers. So this isn't a field trip. I'm just wondering why they're either going to or coming from school at noon. <laughs> uh, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me, but I did notice it was 1.30 in the diner. I saw a clock. So just to keep some semblance of time passing, who knows how long from the diner to this bus, but it could be an early school out. I'm certainly not going to try and pick the logic apart of this. I accept the fact that a school bus is broken down. And this guy, again, it's another moment for Dennis Weaver to look like a real turd because he's going to end up leaving these children in jeopardy because he's so afraid of the truck. I do love how lax safety standards were like in the 70s. Like these kids are playing by the highway and he's like, get away from the road. And the bus driver's like, ah, let him play. <laughs> I don't even know what day of the week this is. They had a big party with a rape the night before. So that tells me this is a Sunday because rape parties are Saturday night affairs, right? But then there's a school bus, which tells me weekday. I'm very confused. I mean, we all are on the same page. That woman was greatly over-dramatizing the situation, right? Yes, absolutely. But... Okay, yes. It could have been an after-church luncheon. <laughs> the practically rape thing just probably means that he's put his hand on her or kissed her or something. Something in inappropriate. And it's something that she felt like he ought to get into a fist fight over. 
So who knows who's right there? Well, I think this bus scene is drawn out and you know, the children making fun of man. Again, he's being emasculated here. He's trying to push this bus to get it started. His car gets stuck under it. A bunch of antics jumping on it to get it unstuck from the bumper. What I like about it is was he was scolding the children about sitting on the roof, but by the end of it, yeah, he's hopping up and down trying to get the thing out. Well, and that's because the tanker has returned, and I'm talking about the way this film is shot, like this bus scene is silly, but when that tanker returns, and the fact that it's sitting in a tunnel, and it flips its lights on, again, it's taunting him. It is a monster, and I do love the, those horror aspects here. Yeah, I, I like this scene. I think it works. And I don't feel like any scene doesn't reveal some new information. What it's showing is that the trucker can, to some people, look benevolent. He's going to do the job that man couldn't do and give this bus the nudge that gets it back operating. I'm not exactly sure how pushing it, if it's whatever. It's going to get it back on the road. And so he's going to be a good guy to them. And then in the very next scene, he's going to nudge this car in front of a locomotive or try to. And I don't understand why this truck would be nice to the school bus. Are we trying to say this guy isn't so bad or is it just going, look, what you can't do, I can do. For a movie that seemed pretty thematically cohesive, this scene, I don't know if both the bus and the train were added. I read one place it was. I heard another place only the train scene was. No, both scenes were additions to make it longer for a European theatrical release. They weren't on the original TV run. They were filmed in the same three days. Okay, and they just seem like a diversion. It does feel like filler. And I don't like even the truck pushing the car into the train. I think this truck wants to smash this car. I don't think that pushing him in front of a train is the same M.O. It, it just didn't feel the same to me. I don't even know if he's trying to push him into the train. Again, this is taunting. Yeah, it's a game, Arnie. He could kill him at any second. If he really just wanted to kill this guy instantly, the guy would have no shot. He is playing with him. Yes, these are psychological games. He made this guy look humiliated by leaving children behind, running away in fear. I mean, he's looking, again, like a bad father figure, abandoning his family. And the trucker can come in and be nice. But it also lets you know it's personal. I don't go around being awful to everyone on the road. It's just you. It's just you and I'm going to get you. Yeah, with that tanker, he could have pushed that car easily into that train. They even make it sound like this tanker is almost supernatural. They keep talking about like, it's some kind of like diesel super fast. So I, I didn't take it as he was, was actually trying to kill him, but he's scaring him. He's showing I have power over you. Right. Yeah, he wants the game to continue. That's why he keeps waiting. That's why he keeps elongating it. Now that you've said that about the license plates, that's how I imagine it always goes, is that he plays with his food before finally, at some point, he breaks this person, they lose their civility, and they go at it. Man hasn't quite reached that point yet, but he is ready to call the police. He hasn't seen any cops on the road. I'd love to know where this freeway is. I would take it all the time. <laughs> There's a homicidal <laughs> trucker who, if you pass him, will kill you. But hey, you might save some time the other days. I'll take my chances. There's a snake Rama here, like where this phone booth is. Was this added to elongate? Because this scene seems so out of place. No, it wasn't in the original story, but it was always in the script. It was conceived in this way. I mean, we forget this, but when America was fascinated with the road and traveling and people were hitchhiking and all that, there was the phenomenon of roadside attractions where people would have to come up with gimmicks to get you to stop at their gas station. So it looks weird, 
that a woman has all of these snakes and a coyote tied up like a dog and all of this, but it was just kind of a part of the time. I cannot imagine that. All I'm thinking when I'm seeing this scene, because we're doing Raiders of the Lost Ark and the <laughs> Silver Donation Drive, is snakes. Why'd he have to hit snakes? <laughs> well, you do wonder if maybe Spielberg shares that fear with Indy. I don't know. Did he get bit on the set or something here? And that's what caused the fear. Actually, he doesn't. He said on the Raiders commentaries, he doesn't mind him. But it does add an extra layer of tension to a moment that is really scary. I mean, here is the moment, I think, where the trucker's ready to kill him. Maybe. He does honk before he barrels down at the phone booth. So I feel like he's giving man the opportunity to save himself. Uh, and I think that honk is the roar of the beast, you know? I, I think that's just the battle cry of this truck. I don't think it's saying, get out of the way anymore. When I feel the game is on is when man passes him the second time, what does he do? He lays on the horn or roars. I think that is, if you view this truck as a land-based Jaws, this is its battle cry. Or a T-Rex, as we'll be discussing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I, you're right. I mostly take it to mean it. In this moment, from now on, this truck is ready to finish him off, if he's not fast enough on the draw. I think he gave him the opportunity to hear the sound and get out of the way. I mean, he could have been silent and, and assuredly would have taken him out. Most semi-trucks aren't too silent. They're not stealthy. They're not going to sneak up on you. Well, you would have heard the engine, but he wouldn't. He laid on the horn, is my point. But yeah. Now, this snake lady, Spielberg actually recreated this scene with the same actress in 1941. Oh, really? Yeah, he actually has put little drops of duel in a lot of his early films. And that's one of the ones he called out, is he wants to pay homage to the film that got him started. I know that the old people that Man Encounters later had some cameos in Close Encounters as well, so, okay. Yeah, and when the truck dies at the end, that's the same sound effect he brought it back for the roar when the shark dies in Jaws. Yeah, well, it has a very, very similar feel, but... Yeah, I like this Snickerama scene. If you were feeling like this movie was a little pokey, you gotta be engaged now. I mean, he's out for blood. There's live rattlesnakes on the ground. There's nowhere to run, basically. Even if he doesn't get hit by the truck, he's gonna get bit. I think this scene is, is just silly when you have that lady, my snakes, my snakes. But I do love what comes afterwards, because I feel like this is it. Yeah, the trucker, he has made his intentions known. If you didn't know before, I am out for blood. I want you dead. This car and this truck, they are going to face off against each other. Like, he's going to try to cross the road. That truck is going to pull out and block it and then just go back into its little alcove and wait for him to pass again. I do like the tension of what comes after this snake Rama scene. And for me, this vehicle has run out of gas at this point. I wish I could be into this climax, but we're 75 minutes into a mostly silent film that involves cars doing what they can do on a low budget in 1971. And I'm out of it. After the whole school bus and train scene, the snake scene, it seems silly to me. I was not taking it as it's on. I felt it was on when he was pushing him in front of a train. Stuart, you said earlier, you felt it was kind of on when he said, pass me into oncoming traffic. So now 
I'm honestly just want this movie to go on cruise control until it can cross the finish line. Do they have cruise control in 71? Mm, they might have, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, come on. There's some really good stuff here. For you to love so much of that fast and furious crap and not appreciate the compositions that are being done here. There's nothing fast and nobody's furious. I don't understand the similarity. Okay. To me, it's about the artistry of composition. Like, to be able to hold onto a frame, to be able to see something. It's creepier to me to watch that truck grow slowly larger in the back window coming up behind him than it is to have computer graphics go through every compartment of a engine and come out sparking. <laughs> I mean, it's just stylistic difference. Yes, this movie is limited by its budget and its time it was made, but it's made with the austerity of a classic John Ford Western. I mean, I really do see Spielberg, despite his age, really has studied the way that films look and feel and, and how some of the best ones compose a shot and has made a really cool-looking Western, even though it feels more like a horror movie. Good camera work can only carry me so far, and apparently that length is 50 minutes. Okay, well, too bad. I'm I'm into the movie, and I'm definitely enjoying these moments. I do find it interesting... He's on foot, the truck could take out his car, but I think that he wants the duel to be vehicle versus vehicle. It's interesting to me that they don't get out of the car. It could have gone that way. In order to keep the plot going, they could have generated a lot of different ways to keep fighting. We could have finally seen this guy. We could have introduced a hitchhiker that befriended man. We could have added more characters, up the ante, created new storylines. I think if they ever remade this movie... They'd have to do that. But because this movie is so stark and so basic, because it has been defined as a shiny new sports car versus old tanker truck, I feel like that's where this guy wants it to finish up. And he's just not going to let this guy pull him out of the cabin and end it with a fist fight or a, or a gunfight or something like that. It has to be vehicle versus vehicle. I did notice we'll talk about this crash, but when that car crashes, that driver door is open. I'm like, Oh, maybe that's a hint that he's jumped out and we're going to get this last confrontation. That's the stuntman actually getting out to not die because <laughs> the machine that was supposed to keep the car running while he jumped out much earlier malfunctioned and he stayed in there until the last minute with his foot on the gas. Yeah, I mean, they did some crazy stuff here. It's lucky nobody was really killed during the making of this film, truthfully. Yeah, the guy playing the trucker is a noted stuntman. He worked on everything from trucks. Remember that? He didn't work on Maximum Overdrive, but he did do that 90s TV pilot that we all hated from uh, the Stephen King collection. And he did Bullet and just about anything that was on four wheels in the 70s. He was a part of some of those stunts. So much love guy here. He's the only one that's not glowing about Steven Spielberg in the summation of the movie. Everyone else is like, oh, Steven really proved himself in this movie. He was great. And Carrie Lofton was like, eh, he wasn't very good. He didn't know what he was doing. I could have directed this better. He didn't know how to... <laughs> do these cars here. I, I don't think he was worried so much about the composition as he was about just, yeah, giving a good chase and making the vehicle do the incredible stunts that he had been accustomed to. But he was uh, amusing in his candor about what he thought about Spielberg. I guess I'm also confused with this climax. What makes man finally decide to fight? It just seems after, in my time, 80 minutes of running including a car that seems to be on the verge of death because the radiator hose, you know, Chekhov's radiator hose, we were told in Act <laughs> 1, your radiator hose needs to be replaced. And here at the end, it starts to stall out his car. But this is, again, possibly the drawback of the silent movie single man versus single truck kind of thing, because 
I don't know what's in his head that makes him decide, now I'm going to turn around and take this last-ditch effort and fight back. I think that's obvious. I mean, they set this up early. Again, he's a wussy. His wife's berating him. We see him at the diner. He can't ask for ketchup, so he decides to try to man up. He gets ridiculed. They make fun of him because he picks on the wrong guy. I mean, this is a growing escalation. When is he going to be able to stand up for himself? I feel like if there's a theme to this film, that is what it is. And we want to see that. We want to have that moment. I think he's been pushed to the edge here, almost literally. Like, the radiator's almost gone. What choice does he have but to just confront this truck head on? But why now? Why not 10 minutes earlier in the movie? Why not 10 minutes later? He thought he could get away 10 minutes earlier until that radiator hose blew. That's exactly right. There was an incline. He knew that just physics will tell you he can go faster than that truck. The bigger that truck is, the slower it is going up that hill. So he's going to win. And then when the radiator hose goes out and he loses his acceleration and he just barely makes it over, there's almost nothing left in the car. He has no fight left in him other than to just play chicken. So that's what they do. He drives up to the corral, and it's like any other gunfight you'd have in a Western. It is literally the gunfight in the OK Corral. And using his briefcase, he's able to keep the accelerator going while he jumps out. I don't know if that would work or not, but props to man for trying that. That seemed like such an 80s action movie thing to me, to to put something on the gas pedal to keep it going while you jumped out. I was surprised to see it. Going back to 1971 here. I guess the point is that, you know, his white collar existence was good for something. I'm surprised he didn't ever take the tie off, but. (laughs) I was surprised about that. I'm like. Yeah, when civilized people get thrown into difficult situations, part of how we demonstrate their mental deterioration is we take away their outfit and their armor, as it were. The tie would get torn or he'd use it in some way. But maybe if this movie had more time and was scripted in a different way, they could have gone that way. But it's lean. And it's efficient, and it's enough that he just puts his suitcase to get the car ramming the other one, and who knows? Did the guy have a death wish? Could he not control his vehicle? In the book, it was almost like the vehicle had never existed. And here, it feels like maybe the trucker did get outsmarted. I do feel like man got a little bit lucky. There is that cliff there. I, he couldn't have really planned that too much because I don't think he knew what the terrain was coming up. And the fact that this trucker couldn't see through the smoke and just kept going, it did seem weird. Why not hit the brakes and get rid of that wreckage from the front of your car? Yeah, I think he was just enjoying the kill. You know, it, it's his own homicidal urges that kill him, right? Man doesn't do anything except create a trap. The trucker, if he hadn't been so bloodthirsty at this point, could have easily survived. Yeah, he could have, definitely. What surprised me is, you know, the first thing we see about the truck is the in big stenciled letters on the back, flammable. I'm like, oh, this thing's going to blow up. But I guess they didn't have the money. <laughs> yeah, no budget for that. <laughs> There's no fire. There's no fire. It goes over and it looks cool. But I mean, the sealing the deal, making sure that he was dead, making sure that that truck door wasn't going to open and the trucker wasn't going to get out and continue the fight fist fighting. I thought for sure that we'd see some flames, even if they weren't much. Well, they don't even show a body, which again, led me to believe that maybe that trucker was going to appear and there was going to be a fist fight. But I'd love this when it goes off the cliff, this crash. I mean, they milk this this is in slow motion they had i'm guessing one chance to do this with their budget and yep they get it from a bunch of angles and it looks pretty good actually i think that's only from one angle the main shot is from one angle and spielberg really called out the dp for being able to pull it off 
it was just a hand shot and having to keep up with this truck and this car. There's not multiple angles. This isn't like the usual suspects where the coffee cup breaks and you see it from 18 different angles. This was one shot as that truck descended into this massive plume of dust, and he was able to just follow it. Yeah, they had other cameras set up, but they chose only this take because it was so spectacular. Maybe this is where I'm thinking of the different angles. They show all the different parts of this truck just at rest, the wheels spinning, and to show that it's dead, but we never see the driver. I do wonder if they were supposed to believe there is a supernatural element here. Was there a driver? Was this all in man's head was it satan (laughs) i don't know (laughs) it it does kind of have that hitchhiker ghost tail kind of thing even though we saw an arm and saw some boots if we hadn't seen those this really would feel like a campfire tale large marge is behind it all i'm I'm with you and i'm shocked by this ending like man it's funny he does like this little happy dance as that truck goes over the cliff and then he's sitting there i guess waiting for another car to come by that road he doesn't even have his thumb out he's giving up on hitchhiking i'm thinking is he walking home he's a long ways away his wife's gonna be pissed she said you better not be late for dinner yeah i don't even think he's gonna make it for dinner tomorrow (laughs) yeah it's a slight difference from the short story it ended more on the page that he was a savage and he was just yelping. The comparison was like some caveman. And here, I think Spielberg, there's a little bit of sympathy, right? Yeah, he has the happy dance, but afterwards, he seems a little bit despondent. He seems like it's impacted him. He's maybe even crying. I don't know. But he seems moved by the experience. He has not gone to the other side and become what he hated. He has retained his civilized self. I guess that's why he gets to keep the tie. <laughs> So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Duel? Jacob. Arnie, I, I see a lot of the arguments you made. This is a thin story. If this was done today, yeah, a lot of these plot elements would have been built up and maybe more characters or maybe more who is this truck driver? What are his motives? But I like this film I, for a lot of the reasons I've, I've said and Stewart has said. I like the composition. I like how it's shot. It's visually entertaining and interesting to me when man is talking to his wife on the phone. It's not just a shot of him on the phone. It's shot through this washer with this fat lady doing her laundry. I could see promise in this young director. I'm interested to see where his career takes him. This would be someone that I would want to see more of because he was able to take this really thin story and shoot it in an exciting way. A lot of these car chases are exciting with the different rigs they use to get the lengths of the truck as they're passing by and all that. So yeah, it's a thin story that it could definitely use improvements in the script area. I think it's a entertaining film to watch because of the way it was shot, because of the composition, and because the the way Spielberg makes this tanker into a Jaws, into a T-Rex, into a monster. It's a fun little thriller slash horror movie. And yeah, I recommend it. Stuart. Yeah, I think it demonstrates the difference between thin and spare. I mean, there's a starkness to this story. There's not much in the design that's happened. I don't ding the movie for that. I think, well, that means that you can't overstay your welcome. You got to get in there. You got to do your job. And it plays like allegory. You have man in the wild having this duel with this old technology. To me, it's a very exciting, dynamic, cinematic piece of film. Would it be stronger as a Twilight Zone episode? Yeah, I do think that this movie would be even better if it were, as Richard Matheson had originally intended, been cut down to 50, 52 minutes. And that was duel. I think that it could stand to lose 
a few minutes. But given that, my highest compliment to Spielberg is that even though it is a half hour too long, I'm never bored. I don't think this movie really has huge pacing problems, even though I can recognize not a lot is happening. It's just so well shot. It's just so well made. I'm always compelled to watch it. So I do feel like, yes, there's nothing that we can tell you that would demonstrate how enjoyable it is to watch the movie from a compositional standpoint. Go watch this movie and see how it impacts you. It'll teach you how to make film. I mean, it's a really exceptionally photographed movie. Whether you like the story or not, whether it's scary, that's almost incidental. It's just a great piece of filmmaking. Great! Great! It is a great piece of filmmaking. It's a good movie. I'm not going to say this is Spielberg's top-tier stuff, but yes, for filmmaking, I dare say that if you handed this script to anybody, they could do any better. No, you're probably right. If you handed this script and this budget to anybody, this is the best you're going to get. I guess I just don't want to watch anything with this script and this budget. I agree that Spielberg shows, although it's very easy to say this in hindsight, but in this film, you see insight into the director he would become when given more creative control, more budget, more story, more actors. And when you say that watching this will show you how to make a movie, that's the kind of thing that I often put into that homework category, like I did Texas Chainsaw and things. Yeah, but how is that entertainment? You could go take a class, too. Is the class going to be entertaining or is the class going to be instructional? I'm looking at this as a piece of film, as an entertainment, as a movie of the week. They wanted this to be diverting. And I was on the fence. I There were some things here I really liked. And it was the camera work and it was the tension and it was some of the early car chases. But this thing really overstayed its welcome. I think I would recommend this as a 52-minute one-hour episode. I say 52 minutes because back at 1971, you had about eight minutes of commercials. So at 52 minutes, I think this would be a recommend. At the full 90-minute theatrical international length, it overstays its welcome for me. It does not hold the tension. And like I said, around 50 minutes is when I've stopped going, ooh, nifty shot, and started going, can something else please happen? When the climax does come, when man takes his stand, and God... <laughs> That name, it's like on Interstellar. I mean, yeah. when he, man versus man, you know? But when man takes his stand, it's too close to the end. And dare I say, the Incredible Hulk did it better. Oh, come now. You had no, me. I mean that. By taking Spielberg shots and providing a better protagonist and a better surrounding story, I say go watch Never Give a Trucker an Even Break but a week not recommend on Duel. Oh my God. I could have accepted a not recommend, but to anything that that Lou Ferrigno show being better than this, that's, oh my God. It took the best parts of this and then added a better story. And then made it a junky Hulk episode. Okay, I get it. Sure. <laughs> Great. Who needs allegory when we can just have a crappy Hulk break stuff? It's better than a monologue in a diner oh boy have you ever watched that episode i will accept that i'll make you that deal we'll agree to disagree when you have an informed opinion go watch never give a trucker an even break tell me how you think might happen not in the near future <laughs> i think the only hulk you're going to be watching in the near future is ruffalo yeah i i think that's true that's definitely coming up we've got avengers we've got mad max we've got a lot of things on the road maybe there'll be more of your uh liking arnie but could this be remade i kept wondering i mean obviously gps and cell phones 
have taken the mystery out of back roads, right? What used to be forbidden and, oh, anything could happen to me here. Now, it's impossible to be lost, right? It's impossible to feel like you could be stranded in a place with savages. Oh, my cell phone signal doesn't work. How many movies do we see that in? Yeah, no, that's terrible. They've always got to write a reason why that is. And I'm telling you, with each passing year, can you hear me now? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) Here's the funny thing, Stuart. The bar that he goes into for lunch, that's a real bar. It's still around. It's now called, I believe it's pronounced Le Chien. It's a high-end French restaurant. Wait, what? Like, that is a real thing. Yeah. This is my point. Thank you for demonstrating that. Yes, even though that run-down trucker stop where the best meal they got is Swiss cheese on rye bread and water. You can literally get escargot there. Wow. It's exactly my point, is that we've just mapped too much of this world now. I just hear there's not enough mystery left on the planet Earth to tell these kinds of tales. I love them. I'm a sucker for them. I do love to see de-evolution, I guess is what I would call it, when civilized people are confronted with Lord of the Flies situations and have to find their inner cavemen to survive. I think that can be a great story. I just, it would be hard to do that in a car in 2015. I just don't know how you'd remake it, but they'll probably try. I think you make it a period piece, like the Texas Chainsaw remake. This would work better as a 70s film redone today. Yeah, that might be the way to go. It certainly solves a lot of scripting problems. Like I said, I I just don't know how Trucker can fight OnStar. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that this needs to be remade. I think it has been. I think that it has a legacy. Isn't that what Jaws is? Yeah, Jaws to a degree. But I mentioned Joyride. I mentioned Jeepers Creepers. I think (laughs) it's better just to have this film's legacy out there versus... Yeah, Jaws, but come on, Jeepers Creepers! You're saying Jeepers Creepers is better. Well, I'm saying those are more direct parallels of Duel than Jaws is. I'm not saying they're better than Jaws. Yes, I know. I just, I wanted to, yeah, highlight that. Yes, you weren't just advocating that Hulk episodes are better than Spielberg movies and Jeepers Creepers is more essential than Jaws. No, I'm saying that the anonymous trucker specifically has a legacy now thanks to this movie and it's better just to keep stealing from it than try to remake it frankly we can make it our own retrospective i think it would be fun to do the the highway retrospective and look at all the ways that they've used that as a platform for creating suspense and horror tales i yeah i i could be down for that i i'm a sucker for it and i agree if they never make another film called duel this film gets remade all the time it is definitely deeply influenced not only in the way that it's shot which is what i advocate why you need to go back to this one specifically but just yeah the concepts in the horror the faceless psychopath slashing at you on on the highway yes tarantino's grindhouse essentially The vehicle was the knife. That concept, it happens again and again. Duel is just one of many examples, but one that shouldn't be forgotten. I do stand by my solid recommend on this one. And I think if I'd recommended this film, I would have recommended it because I like Spielberg. Most of his films I do like, other than, you know, War of the Worlds. We (laughs) reviewed that one pretty harshly. But I could have possibly given this a pass on Spielberg's name, but that wouldn't have been an ingenuous review that would have been a fanboy review so if you want to hear me talk about spielberg films i do like 
like the first Jurassic Park and like the Indiana Jones trilogy. <laughs> trilogy? Isn't there a fourth one? I'm waiting for it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> because I think that you're going to have some very harsh words about Spielberg in our Indiana Jones retrospective. But not in the Indiana Jones trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a quadrilogy. You're, you're forgetting one. <laughs> no, it isn't. There is not a fourth film, Jacob. There is not a fourth film. Don't make me go back there. We are going back there and we're throwing Goonies in. If you want to be a silver level donor, you can begin. We're taking those donations right now. And Friday, you're going to get Raiders of the Lost Ark. And after that, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and yes, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That is all part of silver level donation. We will finish that out at the very end. The very last podcast we release is going to be Goonies, which is sort of an Indiana Jones adventure. It's got short round at the very least. All of that is going to be at the $10 silver level donation. But in between that, because Jurassic World is coming out, we also have a gold level donation. And what that means is after we finish with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we are going to move to, I guess, theme parks run amok. Because we'll start with Westworld and Future World. That was created in the 70s by Michael Crichton. It was his first stab, really, the first draft of Jurassic Park. He figured out, that gunslingers weren't maybe as exciting as dinosaurs and changed it in the 90s with Jurassic Park, Lost World, Jurassic 3, and this new Jurassic World. We're going to be reviewing all six of those movies, plus the five silver level donation movies. For $25, you can get all of those films, help support our podcast, and get a lot of great Spielberg works. And maybe not so great movies too, but we'll be talking about that whole gamut And if that is not enough... But wait, there's more! If you still need Spielberg, and goddammit, I am still swearing by it, Poltergeist is Spielberg. There is a new Poltergeist movie coming out. Yes, we have already done the Poltergeist retrospective. Many of you already have those three podcasts. If you purchase those three podcasts, you will get the new podcast on the Sam Rockwell movie. It will come to you automatically whether you donate this spring or not. But if you want to be a platinum donor and if you want to get those locked up vault shows of Poltergeist, they are available again. They're here as well as this new remake, which frankly, as much as my head is telling me not to be, I'm kind of excited about. It kind of looks good. I'll see Sam Rockwell in anything. I like the poster. They kept some of the visual design of the early movie and that's why i'm excited the color scheme yeah i think this could be the poltergeist sequel i always wanted two and three to be do you think Raimi ghost directed this the way you think spielberg ghost directed the original no i i don't but i'm curious to see whoever does it i'm fingers crossed that they have half the talent that spielberg demonstrated in that first movie i love it Marjorie loved it, and we're all going to be joining you to watch that new movie and release the old shows for Platinum Donors. Yep, it's one of those rare chances, again, to get a series from the vault. Rare chances again. (laughs) (laughs) It is becoming more and more frequent, but we mean what we say. Usually when we close the door in the vault, when we're not writing a book, it's kind of it. We're not in the business of selling podcasts. We hope people always understand this. We try to create excitement by picking movies people want to see and offering them as a way of helping us keeping the show going. So we have these excitement shows. Poltergeist is out this summer. That's why you're getting it now. Jurassic World 
He's out this summer. It's not going to be out next summer. That's why it's only available now, because something else is going to be out next summer, and we're going to jump on that. That's the way our business works. we got to hop on the trends, and the trend for this spring is Spielberg, Spielberg, Spielberg. Yeah, and these donations, we're not getting rich off them. They're used to support the show. I think they live broke now playing for a few days, a weekend. A day, uh, over 24 hours, of which I didn't even get to sleep because I was up with support. And, you know, if you think our web hosting is cheap, right now I'm paying 400 a month for our server. 400 a month. We're not on the basic plan. So thank you. Yes, it is because of you are enthusiastic about the shows we do and you want to hear that content and are able to give to this show that we are able to give back to you. Not only those specific podcasts, but all the shows we do, including all the free content we do every Tuesday. That happens because you support us in these donation drives. If you didn't, I know we would not have the content quantity that we do now. Or even a website that functions. Honestly, without listener support, we couldn't afford out of our own pockets to pay for this. We just couldn't. And it's listener support that keeps us going. And if it's just $10, that is so helpful. And that gets you the five shows. If you can do more, then you'll get the 12 shows with Jurassic Park. But also, if you donated for Poltergeist previously... You're getting that new show already. We have already emailed you, told you it's coming. So we don't make you double dip either. You guys are good to us. We try to be good to you. That's right. And with that, we will be back next week starting our Mad Max retrospective series. We hope you join us in the meantime for Raiders this Friday. So Jacob, Stuart, thank you for joining me. So until next time, I'm in no mood to play games. Let's go. Slight complication. Oh, look like a big complication to me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Oh dear, did you have a nice trip? <laughs> oh no, no, just a, just the same old thing. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. You're the boss. Not in my house, I'm not. Also at NowPlaying, you can find information about our spring donation drive. Those who donate to support NowPlaying before July 31st, 2015 will receive, as a thank you gift, exclusive bonus reviews of Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones films, as well as the Jurassic Park and Poltergeist movies. Specific donation amounts and details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of NowPlayingPodcast.com. Whatever you want, I got it. What do you want? Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. Please, please. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. I said there probably won't be a problem. Well, just be on time, okay? All right. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Slow down, turn around, that's all. Now playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures or the ABC Network. Duel is the property of its copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. 
I called the local police. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Okay. Okay. Go on, play games. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I want you to cut it out. What? Just, just cut it out, okay? This is the now playing co-host who's the boss of this house, Arnie. Stuart in LA and I play meat. <laughs> Took my line. <laughs> I did. I, I knew it. See, that was my prediction. I was like, I bet I can guess what Jake's going to do. There's no other lines to take. Honk, honk. No, I'm sorry. You can have it. You can totally, this, you can blooper <laughs> this. I just wanted to do it to Jacob. That's it. I just wanted to have a duel with Jacob and I won. <laughs> <laughs> Between Fast and the Furious. God, I got a plane, too. Harrison Ford's coming at me. <laughs> Don't go golfing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> God, no, another one's coming. It's a dogfight. It's a duel. Yeah, here comes John Travolta. <laughs> all the famous celebrity pilots. An uh, award show going on tonight. They're all coming in. <laughs> Who knows? Why would they be giving John Travolta an award? He's probably just there to uh, cop a feel on all the celebrities. <laughs> you know, I saw the full video. It was not that unwelcomed by Scarlett Johansson. It's only the one shot. That is a great shot, It's though. a great shot, but <laughs> she was very happy to see him. Ever since Love Song of Bobby Long. Were they both in the movie together? I didn't even know. Exactly. There's a forgotten movie. I mean, if he brought his wife along or his kid. Sure, I'm your Huckleberry. What does that mean? I have no idea, but it's a famous line from Tombstone. <laughs> what does that have to Oh, duels. Okay, got it. <laughs> I know what that is. It, it took a beat, yes. <laughs> People like that movie. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, they do. If somebody could tell me what I'm your Huckleberry means, I would be forever grateful, because I say it a lot. <laughs> and probably Huckleberry Finn. To your Tom Sawyer? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I guess maybe he's Tom Sawyer, and so Val Kilmer's Huckleberry Finn? I'm I'm guessing, but we're really way off in the boonies here. I have no idea. Let's get back to Duel. If we must. The main shot is from one angle, and Spielberg really called out the DP for being able to pull it off, because it was just a hand job of... Keeping up with the truck. <laughs> you want me to rephrase that? <laughs> I guess he was really grateful about that. <laughs> Things you didn't know about Spielberg. <laughs> so, Jacob, Stuart, thank you for joining me. Is there a quote? There's a few. Here we go. But now, I'm in no mood to play games. Let's go. Okay. That's a quote. Yeah. <laughs> You could deliver it with a little more passion. Do another take. I think you'll appreciate it as an editor. Okay. So until next time, I'm in no mood to play games. Let's go. Okay. Much better. Sounded Much a little G.I. Joe comic book. Yo, Joe, <laughs> let's go. Uh...